morning is going to be chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. So please turn there. I'm actually going to begin this morning by, by reading the text right away. So if you don't have your Bible with you, um, there are Bibles on the back table. We'd love it if you would uh, take one home with you if you don't own a Bible. Let that be our early Christmas present to you. Let's read uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. I'll do some backfill, but let's just read this together. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we believe that this word uh, is inspired by your Holy Spirit, and as always, we want to ask that you would humble us under the authority of this word, that you would use this word um, in our hearts, apply it to our hearts, teach us this word, Um, God, convict us with this word, transform us into the likeness of Christ with this word. Edify us with this word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, concerning this passage this morning, these five verses from Galatians 6, one scholar commented that this is the closest that the Apostle Paul gets to writing a proverb. (laughs) Because it seems like one minute, Paul's telling us this morning in this passage, he's telling us to keep our eye on one another, He's telling us to bear one another's burdens, and the next minute he's telling us to keep your eyes on yourself, bear your own load. One minute he's warning us against thinking that we're something, and the next he's seemingly giving us reason to boast in ourselves. It's kind of a confusing passage at first glance, but what what I hope we see this morning is that similar to a proverb, These apparently contradictory statements, when we rightly understand them and rightly consider them, they actually add up to one very simple and and, and helpful idea or theme. And and believe it or not, what we're going to look at this morning is the idea of gospel friendship. I know we don't see that language in this passage, but I want to make the argument that that, that that is the underneath of what's happening in this passage as Paul admonishes us to be brothers and sisters who do this thing called restoring one another in a spirit of gentleness. See, in the first four chapters of this book, that was, uh, this book was a handwritten letter by the Apostle Paul. In the first four chapters, Paul has been writing to the young Christians in the region that was at the time known as Galatia. It's modern day Turkey. These Christians are scattered throughout various churches in Galatia, and Paul's purpose in writing them, as as many of us now know at the back of our hand, the purpose of his writing was to warn them that they are dangerously close to abandoning the truth of the gospel and turning away from Christianity altogether. 
See, the Galatians had begun to adopt this belief that God's forgiveness and favor could only be attained when they, one, believed in Jesus' death and resurrection, yes, but then the other part B of attaining salvation was that they had to fulfill works of the law. They had to obey certain Old Testament laws. And I've kind of summarized the the beliefs that the Galatians were starting to adopt in this way. They were believing that before they could become true Christians, well, they first needed to look like Christians. They needed to act like Christians. And so for four chapters, Paul's been shouting at the Galatians through his pen that that's not Christianity at all. Jesus didn't come from from heaven to earth to die and rise again just to hand us a baton and say, look, I've done my part of your salvation, now you do the rest. The rest is up to you. Paul would say, no. Galatians 3, 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of having to earn our Christianity through works of the law. Christ ended that curse on the cross. And now in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.26, we are sons and daughters of God through faith. Full stop. Christianity is not about what we do that brings us back to God. It's about what Jesus has already done to bring us back to God. I hope that, um, I think this is week 12 of our series in Galatians. Are we getting that yet? I hope so. For four chapters, for the first four chapters of this book, again, Paul's just been, if you can imagine him just shouting as he writes this, that we are saved, we are saved from our sin, we are granted eternal life with God by simply trusting in the Son of God, trusting that his death and resurrection alone has secured for us forgiveness and favor and freedom forever. And then in chapter 5, Paul transitioned us and he started to write about what that freedom, what gospel freedom actually looks like. And we, we learned last week that true gospel freedom does not look like just living however we want to. True gospel freedom does not mean that we are liberated from the law into a life of just indulging our sinful desires and our fleshly passions. Though we still have sinful desires, fleshly desires, we are not, as the people of Christ, to walk in them. We are not to entertain our sinful desires of sexual immorality and idolatry. Remember the list from last week? Jealousy and the the overindulgence of alcohol and food and sex. Why are we not to do these things in abundance? Because living our lives for these things is just another version of slavery. It's just another version of slavery. Just ask any addict what they once thought to be The freedom of getting drunk all the time turned out to be the prison of alcoholism. That's not freedom. True gospel freedom means living our lives by the Spirit of God who has been given to us. True gospel freedom leads us, it produces fruit in us, fruit of self-control rather than rampant drinking and indulging and so on and so forth. Goodness and joy 
is a fruit of this spirit within us. Peace. Who doesn't want that? Love, kindness, patience, faithfulness, and gentleness. Obviously, I just quoted those out of order. I know. I can read. But that gentleness is going to come into play this morning. God has given us his spirit. He has given us his word, the Bible. He's given us his ear when we pray because he wants to help us walk in true gospel freedom. And what we see in today's passage is that God has given us even another powerful tool to help us live in gospel freedom. And I believe that that powerful tool is gospel friendship. Now, a lot of you might use the word accountability partner. You might, um, you know, our spouses are included in this. Our, our, our children are included in this. But there's, there's, it's, it, gospel friendship is, is, is bigger than just our relationship with, with my, my, you know, my wife or, or your husband or, or whatever the case may be. God has, has, has given us the tool of one another, the body, the church, brothers and sisters in Christ who are also born of the Spirit. Born of the promise, born not of blood, John writes in John 1, not of free will, but of God, of God. And I believe that, that, that we, truly won't, we truly won't scratch the surface of the gospel freedom that God wants to bless us with if we fail to embrace the amazing gift that he has given us in one another. Does that make sense? And so let's just kind of work our way through this passage uh, a bit, ver kind of verse by verse. And the way that I'm going to lay out my, my message this morning is that at, toward the end, I'm going to give us, you know, four points of practical application. So let's kind of dig into this for a second. First half of verse one, he writes, brothers and and that term includes sisters, brothers and sisters. If anyone is caught in any transgression, sin, you who are spiritual, in other words, you who live by the Spirit, remember that vernacular from last week? You who live by the Spirit should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness, a fruit of the Spirit. Let's look at that. If someone is caught, now, in that word is this idea of being overtaken by the desires of the flesh. It's, it's an idea of almost being taken off guard, like in a blinded sort of sense, caught and kind of entrapped and snared. And it's the duty and the delight of true Christians, of if someone is caught or overtaken in a sin, it's the duty and the delight of those Christians around them to restore them. And that word restore literally means to make them what they ought to be in Jesus. It means to strengthen them. In fact, part of the word even means to perfect them, this idea of sanctifying one another. To lovingly, prayerfully, patiently, gently pull one another out of the pit, brush each other off, and then reacclimate each other to life in the spirit. Think of like a fallen runner, right? And a long distance run and a, and a teammate turns around and runs backwards and, and picks that runner up and brushes them off and then, and then paces them to try to catch them up and get them back on track, back 
onto uh, the speed that they, they need to be. Think of it that way. And Paul's desire is that the Galatians and that the Worcesterites, that we would do this for each other, that we, would, that we would do what Paul has essentially done for them by writing this letter. The whole purpose for Paul's writing this letter was to restore his brothers and sisters who were caught in transgression. They were caught, they were overtaken in sin. It's very, very, very important to understand the nuance of that phrase, caught in transgression. See, Paul's not writing this letter because of an isolated individual instance of sin where one of the Galatians just happened to lose his temper during a single argument or one of the Galatians had one half a glass of wine too many on Thanksgiving. He's not writing this whole... That, those are sins... But we've, and, and, and they need to be addressed. But what Paul is talking about when he talks about being caught in transgression is overtaken by a pattern of sin. The Galatians were embracing a lifestyle of legalism. They were trying to earn God's forgiveness and favor by their works. And again, that word caught brings up connotations of, of, of blindness. We might even say that the Galatians were trapped in legalism and they didn't even realize it. 2 Corinthians 4 speaks to this idea of blindedness. We all have blind spots. We all have patterns of sin in our lives that we cannot see on our own. And this is why Paul urges the Galatians and the Worcesterites to take part in restoring one another in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of compassion, in a spirit of sympathy. Why? Because I don't often see the sins in my life that you do. So be gentle to me. You're alerting me for the first time, maybe. Just look at how Paul begins our passage softly. Look at his change of tone. Brothers, sisters. This spirit of gentleness ought to be growing in all of us who call ourselves Christians. All of us, that Paul writes, who are spiritual. You who live by the spirit, this, this spirit of gentleness and, and, and restoring one, this ought to be present in you. Do we remember from last week, true Christians are those who walk by, live by the Spirit, demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. If in the long term, if we are not growing in a spirit of gentleness toward one another, something is amiss. I would have concerns for someone if I were asked to preach a funeral. Yeah, he, he was a Christian all of his life, but man... Man, was he just severe and ungentle. I would, I would have concerns. We ought to be growing in this fruit of gentleness. We just might, in fact, be caught if we aren't growing in a spirit of gentleness. We might ourselves be caught and blinded by the sin of spiritual pride that Paul mentioned last week in verse 26 of chapter 5. 
And he continues kind of that same idea in this week's passage, chapter 6, verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It's a similar thing that Paul writes and he urges in in Romans chapter 12. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. And here's here's a good reason why. Because we tend to be ungentle toward others when our opinion of ourselves is too high. When our opinion of ourselves is too high, we cannot help but bring with us an air of superiority when we try to restore a brother or sister. How ironic that the way some of us attempt to restore a brother or sister actually says more about our own need for restoration. So keep watch on yourself, Paul writes in the second half of verse 1, lest you too be tempted. Don't get so caught up in the restoration of your brother or sister that you let your own guard down. We've all done this. You know, when you're listening to a sermon, maybe this one, and you're thinking of a list of people that you hope are actually hearing some of these words right now, or I hope so-and-so downloads this sermon later on this week because that was a word for them. Oh, man. Oh, man. I do it. It's in moments like those when we realize that, you know, both of our eyes are on someone else, so we are then by default, blind to ourselves, blind to our own flesh. In those moments, our defenses are not only weakened, they're they're shattered. We're exposing ourselves, Paul says, to, to potentially hazardous temptation. Keep a watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We must keep an eye on our own walk, Paul is imploring, and when we do, instead of boasting in our comparison between ourselves and others, we will be freed to boast plainly and simply in what the Spirit is doing in us and the fruit that is being born. Boasting not in a prideful sense, in a celebratory sense, that man... The Holy Spirit is producing in me what wasn't there two years ago. I, can, I, can, I, I see it. I taste it. Praise God. So we can stop with the notion, kind of Paul's you know, encouraging us, that somehow we are more acceptable to God because we're further along than the brother or sister that we're trying to restore. We can simply celebrate the fruit that we see in our lives. Amen? So what does this have anything to do with gospel friendship? <laughs> I, I, would submit, I would submit everything. I want to go back through this passage and, and simply observe a couple of things. First, I want to ask you, do you have a friend who knows you intimately and walks with you humbly and challenges you gently? If you do, uh, as Thanksgiving is approaching us uh, this coming Thursday, happy early Thanksgiving, by the way, thank God for that friend. Thank God for that friend. Walking by the Spirit, the very thing Paul implored us to do last week, 
Walking and living by the Spirit includes not only seeking this kind of a friend, but being this kind of a friend. And again, that includes our spouses. That includes our, our children, yes. But it, there's something powerful for me in my own walk of having, you know, like the David and the Jonathan relationship, another man in my life who, who might see things in me in a different light than my wife does. My wife knows me better than anyone else. But there's something about, there's something about a man who's well-versed in the word of God who comes and says, brother, I see this. I see this and I love you and I'm going to bring it to your attention because I love you and I'm willing to risk this relationship because I love you and I want to see your joy made complete in Christ. Those who walk by the Spirit ought to seek a gospel friend like this and be a gospel friend. Remember, the, really the idea behind a gospel friend is someone who is willing to make us what we ought to be to strengthen us, to perfect us. We're going back to the definition of that word restore that Paul is encouraging the Galatians to do in the lives of one another. See, what we've basically done last week is we, we've gotten super convicted reading all the fruits of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and then the works of the flesh. I mean, none of us walked out of here last week going, I feel good about myself. And so Paul's kind of coming in now and he's saying, okay, all right, all right. The Spirit of God is going to reveal these, these, these worldly signs in you. And, and, and by prayer and by digging into the Word and being consistent and seeking Christ, we are going to have victory in these areas. But there's also another tool I want to give you. I want to bring someone into your life. I want to bring someone. I've designed it to be communal. Because transformation, if you will, restoration, if you will, sanctification is a community project. We are justified by ourselves and we get to be sanctified within the context of the bride of Christ, the church. Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 through 10, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And so through this passage... I want to make four observations of a gospel friend. These are practical thoughts, and we'll spend the rest of our time um, citing the scripture and talking a little bit about these. Number one, a gospel friend is someone who is close in proximity, meaning personal. A gospel friend is someone who is close in proximity. Number two, a gospel friend is someone who is humble in character. Number three, a gospel friend is someone who is gentle in correction. And lastly, a gospel friend, number four, is someone who is faithful in direction. And we'll talk about what these mean. Number one, a gospel friend is close in proximity. Of course, there is a sense, I got a cough, excuse me. <coughs> I should have turned off my mic. <clears throat> There's a sense in which Christians, you know, Paul's, Paul's calling us to restore anyone and everyone who's caught in any transgression. I mean, that's, that's the language that he's using in, in verse 1. So whether or not this, this person is in our circle of relationships, if we see, you know, blatant sin and the Holy Spirit is just illuminating us to it, we've got, we've got to, to address that person. 
If anyone is caught in any transgression is what he says in verse 1. But think about it. Think about it for a second. Who are the people that we know well enough to see? Who are the the people who know us well enough to see the patterns of being caught in sin in our lives? The patterns, not just a one-off instance, but the patterns that Paul is talking about in being caught in a transgression. Who are the people that we know well enough to truly help bear their burdens, like Paul urges in in verse 2? I believe that a God-given gospel friend is someone who is in close proximity to us, and that ought to be an encouragement, and I'll tell you why. So we don't have to go to another country to find an accountability partner. Uh, We don't have to, you know, leave the state. Uh, We don't have to go to another local congregation. I mean, the idea here is, is how will this gospel friend in our lives and how will we for them keep an eye if we're, if we're not worshiping together and, and, and with each other on a, on a regular basis? This person that, that God would have you to be a gospel friend to, this person that God would give to you as a gospel friend, I believe is close in proximity. They're near to you. And I believe that in the age of social media and Facebook and all of these relationships that we're trying to, to maintain, I, I believe that there is, it, there's a protection here in the closeness of proximity that, that, that protects us from overcommitting. Because if you look a bit, you know, Jesus, Jesus had three that he was really, really, really super tight with. You know, Paul had one or two at any given moment. You know, Ruth had Naomi. There's something about, uh, you know, one or, or, or two or at the most three. Because the goal here is that we want to know one another deep enough, close enough, near enough that we can see patterns where that person might be defaulting to works of the flesh. We want to be near enough to restore them. And, and, and those we're not personal with, even when we go to someone that we're not personally involved in, we can go with you know, humility and even gentleness, but, but it still feels a bit impersonal at times. Again, I'm not saying we ought not go to one another that we don't know, but here's the thing. Oftentimes, I don't know if, it's, if you're like me, I can have trouble trusting someone that I've not watched you know, their walk. I don't know them. So there's something deeply God-given. There's a gift to people who are in close proximity, who are humble and and gentle and and willing to point us consistently in the right direction. That's, That's simply the point that I'm trying to make. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a sincere friend That's someone who's willing to bring a scalpel over and to cut in order that it would heal. Number two, a gospel friend is is humble in character. When we try to restore a brother or sister who senses any degree of superiority in us, even if our manner is gentle, does it not still come off as condescending? 
I mean, have you ever tried to, have you ever been corrected by someone who's incredibly gen- gentle but, but prideful? And they're like, oh, oh, you know, I see this in your life. Don't you just want to punch them? It feels like they're talking down to you the entire time. A gospel friend is not only humble in their correction of you, but humble enough to even receive correction from you should the need arise. There's a humility about them. A gospel friend is someone who gains your trust and, and whom you gain theirs through the giving of trust. We, we, we don't expect one another. That they, a gospel friend doesn't expect you to bear your soul and share your struggles without bearing and sharing their own. There's a mutual vulnerability in a humble gospel friend. When, someone, when we're someone's gospel friend, we, we, we're not deceived into thinking that we're something special, as Paul alludes to in verse 3. But instead, we're keeping an eye on ourselves, the second half of verse 1. We're, we're testing our own work, verse 4. When we're someone's gospel friend, we're inviting the watchful eye of them as our gospel friend. A gospel friend, number three, is someone who is gentle in correction. I mean, this is basically the footing that Paul starts out on. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who walk by the Spirit, you who live by the Spirit, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And this is a, this is a gentleness that cannot be manufactured. It is supernaturally birthed in the heart of humility because, again, we tend to be ungentle toward others when our opinion of ourselves is too high. Restoring one another in a spirit of gentleness means privately, patiently, prayerfully helping one another to see the patterns of sin. Helping each other to see the patterns of sin that we ourselves likely do not see because we're caught or blinded. Not to be too cheesy, but gentleness is the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. And we will only rightly be heard when we are rightly gentle. I think that there's a lot packed into to that spirit of gentleness that Paul is imploring the Galatians in. When we try to restore a brother or sister in a way that lacks gentleness, even if we come to them in humility, there's a, there's a sort of aggression about it. It feels aggressive. Reckless words, Proverbs 12, 18. Reckless, uh, impatient, ungentle, flippant words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I think of Jesus with Zacchaeus. I think of Jesus with the woman at the well. I think of Jesus and how he interacted with his disciples, especially the three. I mean, goodness sakes, after, after Peter denies him three times, and Jesus cooks him breakfast on the beach, just invites him to sit down. I bet you his words were just saturated in gentleness. And it's that kindness that most likely led Peter to repentance. A gospel friend, number four, is someone who is faithful in direction. What I mean 
In this context, as Paul says, you know, bear one another's burdens in verse 2, it means to, to come alongside, to carry one another's sins, to, to ease one another's weight. Remember, like that teammate who, who runs back and who, who literally picks up the fallen runner and brushes them off, gets them reacclimated into the race. That runner, that teammate is, is, is making the, you know, the fallen team member, making them what they ought to be. It's that word, restore. That teammate is strengthening them, perfecting them, getting them back in. And the primary way that we do this, it's really not a fancy term, but uh, you know, it's, it's by gospeling one another. Gospeling one another by, by faithfully pointing each other back in the direction of the true gospel. It's, it's when we faithfully point one another back to the true gospel that brings true gospel freedom. I had a brother in Christ uh, this week sit down with me on Monday and because he is in close proximity in my life, I've watched his walk, I've watched his talk, I myself have a, have a gospel friend, eye on him. He sat me down and he shared some hard words with me about evidences of sin that he sees in my life. He was humble, admitting his own sin, telling me about how he has struggled in these various ways, and he was gentle in his language, in his tone. I just got the sense sitting there that this isn't fun to hear, but man, this dude loves me. And as he continued to point out things in my life, there were multiple things, I only thought there was one thing, but it turns out there's multiple things, you know, he gospeled me. He reminded me, you know, brother, as you sit there feeling maybe rejected or condemned, remember, you, you don't stand condemned. The blood of Jesus covers this. You're a child of promise. You're a child born of the Spirit, not of your will, but of God. So stand, lift up your chin. Receive the sonship that Scripture would, 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 would speak over you. Remember that when you feel like going in the other direction and running back into sin, remember that that's just another form of slavery, brother. Remember that you're settling. Remember it's a decoy. It's a, it's a pseudo-freedom. Remember that for freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Gospel, he gospeled me reminded me of my first love, my first priority, and it was in the midst of being told about sins in my life that I, my affections were stirred for Jesus all over again. It was the kindness of the Lord given to me in this friend that led me to repentance. Do you have a friend like that? Are you that friend? Look, I'm con I am absolutely convinced that we will not be the people 
that Paul writes about when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. If we don't have a gospel friend, an accountability partner, a man or a woman in close proximity who's walking humbly and gently, pointing us again and again and again toward the gospel. And I'm, I'm going I'm to tell you this. Usually that person in your life is not who you think it's going to be. There's something when we are so similar to the person that we're trying to be a gospel friend with, we, we assume this natural congruence and it's almost awkward to call each other out on sin. I can also tell you this, and, and I say this with love, I'm not your accountability partner. Pastor Ronnie is not your accountability The burden that we feel when, when everyone thinks that we can be their gospel friend, I, I say this not in arrogance, please don't hear that. It's a burden that's unbearable. I am not even the, be the best fit for you. There is someone in close proximity to you that God has ordained to be this person, and likewise you in their life. Does that make sense? Those who walk by the Spirit are those who seek this kind of a friend, those who are this kind of a friend. Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, I urge you, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It was months ago that we wrapped our series in 2 Timothy when we were constantly asking you, who is your Paul, who is your Timothy? And so I'll just simply put it in a different way. Who is your one or two or three gospel friends? Ideally, it would be someone in your community group. This is the reason why, I'm telling you, this is the reason why here at Substance, we put our money where our mouth is and we provide food every Sunday. We want these kind of relationships to begin to be nurtured over, over feasting, over a meal. This is why almost week in and week out we meet at a community group level. We're not tricking ourselves into thinking that, these, that this kind of a relationship is going to be had every Wednesday where people are just bearing their guts in front of 25 other people. There's, no. Very few people feel so comfortable to just completely bear their soul. And if you do feel comfortable, maybe you shouldn't feel so comfortable in that context. What, I am, what, 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 what we pray and what we hope is that those community groups are the ecosystem in which these gospel friendships are forged. And so my prayer is that we would be close enough to the people in our lives, to that one or two or three people, we can see that they've been caught in a sin. And because our endeavor is to walk by the Spirit, our heart is to restore them, to make them what they ought to be, but to do so in a spirit of gentleness, keeping one eye on our friend and two eyes on ourselves. We have to develop a third eye, but the Lord will help us to do that. I believe that, that this is the, 
This is the, uh, the method. This is the tool. This is the gift that God has given his church to see his church refined and sanctified and flourishing. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I just want to take a moment and thank you so much for the brother in this room who uh, loved me enough to, um, to, to show me some sin. And I pray that everyone in this room uh, who calls upon the name of Christ, I pray that, that all of us would experience the joy of being loved so deeply. I pray that you would put someone on our hearts, someone that we are in close proximity with, someone who we see species of humility in, someone who seems as, as though they, they, they are gentle. I might have just disqualified all of us in the room, actually. <laughs> but Lord, reveal someone to us that we might might prayerfully ask them to consider walking alongside of us and we along their side. And what we ask for, God, is a trust to be built up, for humility to be embraced, for gentleness to be our tone, that we would be a church made up of a lot of friendships that are centered on this idea of restoring one another. Sanctify your bride. God, make us look like Jesus. And we thank you that this is one of the ways in which you choose to do it. Ironing, sharpening iron. Iron, sharpening iron, I should say. So Lord, um, yeah, lead us to act. Lead us to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.